0: Interestingly enough, our our text for this morning is Acts 8, and you can see from the title slide that it's called A Scattered People. Uh, I I put this outline or the bulk of this outline together on Tuesday morning before the fires had uh, leapt over the ridge and scattered thousands of people, evacuated thousands of people. And, um, And so this is one of those weeks, and we trust that God and His providence guides us each week, but this is one of those weeks where even the, the, the slow-headed like me can see, I think God's up to something by having this text be our text here. Because I, I, if, if there was ever a time when we understood what it meant to be displaced or to be scattered or to be sort of spread out, maybe even against our wishes or desires, it was this week. We kind of got a taste of that, of what it meant to sort of be kind of all over and, 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 and scattered. Acts chapter 8 is the story of the church beginning to be scattered. Last week was Acts 7 and we talked about Stephen's sermon and his wonderful sermon of preaching Jesus from the Old Testament. What I didn't tell you was after that amazing sermon that that Stephen gave, guess what they did to him? They stoned him. See, sometimes you can preach a great sermon and they'll still kill you. That's an encouragement for every pastor somewhere. But Stephen does this and he just gives this brilliant sermon and they they stone him and and, and he's dead. And Saul, who later will become Paul, is kind of the guy behind this. and, And he's stirring up trouble and so the church begins to scatter. Now, all of this is happening, we, we sort of guess, or we're constructing somewhere in AD 30s, you know, somewhere in the, in the first few, few years of the church's life. But Acts itself is written, we think, after AD 70. So we're already 40-some years have passed, and Luke is writing down these stories. Why do you think these stories matter to the church? Because in AD 70, Jerusalem itself was destroyed and burned. And in A.D. 70, Jewish people were dispersed, the diaspora, but not just Jewish people, but Christians who were in Jerusalem. And so the church began to be scattered. So when Luke is writing this, he's writing to churches and congregations who've already been scattered. And he's telling them the story of when the scattering began. He's saying, look, this kind of started early on, that we became a scattered people. And so turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to Acts chapter 8. We'll read the first few verses here. Uh, together, and then talk about it a bit. At that time, the church in Jerusalem began to be subjected to vicious harassment. Everyone except the apostles was scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some pious men buried Stephen and deeply grieved over him. Saul began to wreak havoc against the church Entering one house after another, he would drag off both men and women and throw them into prison. Can you picture this? You're sitting in your house and this guy comes in with some guys and grabs you, takes you off, taking you to prison. And those who had been scattered, verse 4 is kind of our key verse for this morning. Those who had been scattered moved on, preaching the good news along the way. If you were into underlining in your Bible, you could underline scattered... And you can underline preaching the good news along the way. And then Philip went down to a city in Samaria and began to preach Christ to them. And the crowds were united by what they heard Philip say and the signs they saw him perform. And they gave him their undivided attention. With loud shrieks, unclean spirits came out of many people and many who were paralyzed or crippled were healed and there was great rejoicing in that city. You can underline that phrase. That there was great rejoicing, joy in that city. This, the church very early on in its life becomes a scattered church. A church that didn't just gather together and have the Spirit of God fall on them, but a church that found themselves scattered. As I think about us today in the, in the 21st century, I think in a very real way, we are a scattered people. We are a scattered people. But we're scattered for all kinds of different reasons. This week we understand what it means to be scattered because of adversity but really even beyond sort of crisis, mass crisis, if you zoom out a little bit probably many of us don't live in the same city that we grew up in earlier this weekend I, I tweeted a question from the New Life Downtown Twitter account I said, how many of you did were not born in Colorado Springs? only three people answered so it's not accurate data but next time I tweet a question will you please answer it? <laughs> You're really killing my sermon prep. (laughs) So now I have to ask you live. How many of you were born, were born in Colorado Springs? All right. That's good. That's a good amount of you. All right. Thank you. Thank you. How many of you were not born in Colorado Springs? Come on now. All right. Now keep your hands up. Whoa, whoa. Keep your hands up if this is the second city or more that you've lived in. Third city or more that you've lived in. Fourth city or more? Fifth city or more? Sixth? Seventh? Look at this. Eighth? What's wrong with you people? Just kidding. (laughs) Just just kidding. Ninth city or more? Ten? Eleventh? There's no prize, so no need to lie in church, okay? (laughs) Just want to make that clear right now, all this dishonesty going on. Eleventh? Twelfth? Jim. How many, Jim. Fourteen. That's, that's a lot of cities So we kind of know what it is to be scattered Most of us did not, are not living in the same place where we grew up H- My wife Holly is from a small town in Iowa In the northwest corner of Iowa And it's a, it's a farm community I mean the town has not a stoplight but a blinking light Yeah, oh my gosh No, those towns exist uh, and, and, and Main Street is real short there's one but there's one bank and four churches uh, Lutheran you know there's all these different churches there um, town of maybe eight hundred people but the land that her father farms is the land that his father farmed which was the land that you know so Holly's generation is really the first ones to actually fully leave Iowa and kinda, and, and kinda get out of there and um, if you've been there you can't blame them as much but but no. But when, but when we go home, it's like, oh, babe, where are your friends? from? Oh, none of them live here. Some of them live in Iowa City, or some of them went to Arkansas. Or some of them, you know, they're all over the place. They don't all live in the same way. Life sort of scatters us. Um, in the late 90s, a New York Times journalist named Thomas Friedman wrote a book called The Lexus and the Olive Tree. Some of you maybe read it. But he talked a little bit about this phenomenon. Called, he called it the electronic herd. And he he kind of used the analogy of like a herd grazing for food, and when one uh, uh, field or or, or area is done, it kind of moves on. Well, the electronic herd is sort of the mobile workforce that will kind of follow where work goes. Well, sort of prescient of him to say that, because that is indeed what has happened in the last few years, and probably some of you have ended up here because of jobs or because of different things, or maybe you've refused to move uh, because your technology has made it such that you don't really have to move. You can kind of work from anywhere, and, and... from your basement or from Starbucks or from whatever. And so we, we kind of know what it means, though, to be scattered, to be a scattered people. Um, the question is, what do we do with the place that we're in? What do we do when we find ourselves in situations, maybe in jobs, maybe in cities, maybe in neighborhoods, maybe in situations or seasons that we would not have chosen? We would say, this was not the script. This was not the plan. But life has kind of scattered me and here I am. Now what? We're being displaced again. We're kind of moving on again. Now what? This theme of being scattered is actually a a, a strong theme throughout the Old Testament. You could actually tell the story of Israel as the story of exile and homecoming. They're, They're exiled from the Garden of Eden and they're waiting to sort of come back to the restored garden in Revelation 21. You could tell the story of the nation itself as being kicked out of the land and then coming back to it. Jeremiah was one of the prophets who was kind of had the unlucky job of telling people bad news. He was the prophet over the southern re- region of the land called Judah, and everyone around him was saying, hey, it's all going to be fine. I love the message translation of it because it says it this way. It says, all those preachers that are telling you nothing bad will ever happen to you, they're lying. I never said that, God says. And Jeremiah's got the job of saying, yeah. I hate to be the one to say it, but you're going to be exiled. Now, for the church in Acts, they're scattered because of their faithfulness to Christ and they're being persecuted. But for Judah, they were exiled because of their unfaithfulness. But there's still something in this theme of finding yourself in a place that you would not have chosen. And so this is what God says to the exiles. It was our Old Testament reading today, but I want you to hear it. This is what the Lord Almighty God of Israel says, Those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. What's he saying? He's saying don't put life on hold. Don't put life on hold. How many of you know the feeling of Your life kind of derailing or detouring in a way that you did not expect, and you found yourself in a place that you would not have chosen. And the temptation is to kind of say, All right, all right, stop, stop, stop. Let's just put it on hold. Uh, Eventually, we're going to get back to this, and then we'll move on. Sometimes, we kind of, in our um, (laughs) purpose drivenness, the detour, when the detour happens instead of the dream, we want to put life on TiVo. just pause it, would you? Just pause this life. Eventually we'll get back to what we really wanted to do and then it'll be fine. But God is saying to these exiles, look, you're going to be in a city you did not choose, but don't put life on hold. This is where you're going to be. And sometimes maybe that's what we need to hear because we, we, we keep thinking, okay God, maybe this. I'll just ride this out. This is just one week or one month or one year and then one year turns to two years, turns to three years, turns to four years. It's like that John Lennon song, life is what happens while you're busy making other plans. You're like, wait a minute, I didn't think, Have I been in, I've been in Colorado Springs 12 years already. I know, that's not impressive. Okay, <laughs> I saw that going differently in my mind. <laughs> but you, you, eventually you have to say, all right, this is where I am. We're a scattered people but this is where we are, and God goes on, the prophet goes on, he says this, Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've uh, carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now these words, peace and prosperity, we have an American way of filling that with money and stuff. and all. That. But, but the word here is maybe a word you've heard before, it's the word shalom. Pray for the shalom of the city that you are in, that the Lord has carried you into. We seek the shalom of the city. We are a scattered people, but we seek the shalom of our city. Now think about this for a moment. Think about how revolutionary this would have been because to the people listening to Jeremiah's words, they grew up in Jerusalem. Do you know what Jerusalem means? The place, the city of shalom, of God's peace. Shalom is not just the absence of war or the absence of bad stuff. Shalom is wholeness. It's God making everything come together and come alive. Shalom is comprehensive flourishing. Someone described it that way. Comprehensive flourishing where everything begins to come together and come alive. Now what if your whole life you had been told... Pray for Jerusalem's peace. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the shalom of Jerusalem. And then all of a sudden, this crazy prophet stands up and says, actually, God wants you to seek the shalom of Babylon. What? But God, Babylon is full of wicked people. But God, Babylon has unscrupulous business people and murderers. But God, Babylon has liberals in it. But God, Babylon? Why should the people of God seek the shalom of a city that is wicked? Because this is God's design. That part of our reason for being scattered is to begin to bring flourishing and blessing and life wherever we find ourselves. Listen, New Life Church is in Colorado Springs for more than New Life Church. New Life Church is in Colorado Springs for the city of Colorado Springs. And the moment we lose sight of that and think that we are here for us, then we've missed it. Because we have been scattered here for the peace of this city. Bobby came up here and talked a little bit about some of the local ministry uh, efforts. We have, our goal is to launch several different dream centers. We had our our first one in operation for uh, this last year. It's a women's health clinic. And women who have no insurance or who are uh, uh, underinsured can come and get free treatment. And when we first launched this, there was all kinds of skepticism from um, the media and and others and people who just sort of thought, oh, a church opening a clinic. What's this going to look like? I bet when people come in, you ask them if they want to accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, don't you? No, we don't, actually. (laughs) Well, but I bet you'll refuse them health care unless they listen to a sermon or watch like the Jesus film or something, right? I said, no, we, we don't even have the Jesus film there. I mean, it's a great film, but we don't yet, no. <laughs> I, a month ago or so, I got to go tour the facility, and you walk in, and the inside of it, you can tell, has been restored, and it's beautiful, and it's, it's made welcoming and warm, and you walk in, and there's people there smiling, and they greet you. Some of the people who had been there regularly were greeted by name, because the people knew them, and they, and they go, and they see either the nurse or the doctor, and they get their help, and On their way out, someone will say, well, is there something we can pray with you for? Sometimes they say yes, sometimes they say no. Yesterday, you can talk about this, Russ, yesterday when we were giving out food and you were standing there serving people, nobody was there with a clipboard that said, I'm sorry, have you, are you a believer? Before you grab that blanket or that diaper, are you a believer? Church exists for more than the church. C.S. Lewis once wrote that the chosen have been chosen for the sake of the unchosen. Some dude wrote in a book called Lucky, the lucky have been made lucky for the sake of the unlucky. It's not quite as profound, but it's the same idea. We are the people of God in a city to seek the shalom of the city. But I'll tell you, this challenges us. Because we are used to sort of being territorial about who we want to see flourish. We want to see those flourish who've worked hard. Or I want to see those who prosper be the ones who deserve it. Or I want to see the ones who prosper to be the people who are my people, my tribe, my clan, the ones who wear my label, who agree with my views, my politics, my stuff, my values. And God is saying, wherever you find yourself, seek the flourishing of that city, period. That means there is no political theory that you should love more than the words of Jesus who says to us, love your neighbor as yourself. The words of Jesus who says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If you fear a certain ideology more than you love your neighbor as yourself, be careful. You're on shaky ground. Because the church is always supposed to seek the welfare of the city it finds itself in. I think one of the reasons I've been so overwhelmed this week with emotion is in watching Christians all throughout the city do just that. Rally together, stand up, make t-shirts that raise money. All of the stuff that has happened this week so quickly because there's people that are saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, we are not just in it to see Christians get what they want, we are in this to see the city itself have shalom. Amen? In Acts, the story ends, this this little section that we're in, it ends by them saying that there was great rejoicing in the city. What city were they in again? They were in a Samaritan city. A Samaritan city. What's Samaria? What's the story with Samaria? Who are they again? All I know is that the, the Jews didn't like them. What's the story there? When Israel was taken by the Assyrians, before Judah was taken by Babylon, they left behind all the sick and the lame and and the ones that that were weak. And then they dragged in other races and other peoples and they made these people intermarry with them. And so these people, these emerged, kind of a new race emerged, a mixed race called the Samaritans. And they also had a sort of a mixed version of a religion. They claimed to worship Yahweh, but they had their own holy places and holy mountains and even different ideas about holy books. And so when the Jews from Judah come back into exile and they look to their north and they see these people called Samaritans, they say, Ugh, who are these guys? We hate them. They're the lowlifes. They're the outcasts. To the point where they would walk around Samaria if they wanted to get somewhere. And Jesus scatters Philip into Samaria. (laughs) Huh. That's amazing. In fact, Acts begins by Jesus saying, You're going to receive power and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. In other words, it's all part of the plan. You're going to find yourself in Babylon some days. You're going to find yourself in Samaria some days. What do you do? Seek the shalom of that city. Bring peace to it. What if you work in, a, in an industry that is convoluted and twisted? You know, I'm not sure. But see if you can bring the peace of God in the midst of it. See if you can bring joy. And, heal. and sometimes you can't. Sometimes it requires leaving a particular company or a particular thing. So, but other times you may say, God, am I, have I been scattered here so that I can seek the shalom of this place? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe you are in there for a reason. But see, there's more to it than this. We're not just to seek the shalom of the city. We are to preach good news along the way. Acts 8 verse 4 says it again. I'll read it again. It says, those who had been scattered moved on, preaching the good news along the way. We preach the good news along the way. See, when the church finds itself scattered in different places, in different industries, in different fields, and different environments, and different contexts, we are not just there to do good works, we are there to also proclaim good news. Sometimes as, as Christians, especially as modern Christians, we kind of get torn in our minds about, well, should I be doing good works or should I be proclaiming good news? Should I be demonstrating the gospel or proclaiming the gospel? And I think Acts 8 says, yes, all of it. Do all of it. Be the good news. Maybe we've heard the... Um, you know, it's funny. With the, with the Internet, there's lots of quotes that get attributed to people, and you're not sure if it's accurate or not. You know, my favorite one is... <laughs> my favorite one, someone tweeted, is... Uh, uh, 40% of the quotes you find on the Internet are false. Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> you know, it's like... <laughs> Yeah, Great. Think about it. You'll get it. It'll come to you somewhere during lunch. You'll get it. But there's almost this kind of urban legend that St. Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel at all all times, use words if necessary. We've struggled to actually find him say something like that. Because St. Francis was a preacher. He preached wherever he went. In the 13th century... Francis, before he became a saint, was a guy who had a passion for the ones who were left out because of a church that had gone mad with power and corruption and wealth and riches and all of this stuff. And the story of his kind of the beginning of his calling is pretty dramatic because his father is trying to try him for stealing and he he, he stands up and he rips off his clothes and all of his stuff and he throws it at his dad's feet and he says, You are no longer my father. God is now my father. And the church can't argue with that. They sort of bless Francis. And then he becomes this wandering preacher, this, which there were a few of those in, in, in the 13th century, barefoot preachers, who would go around preaching repentance and Jesus. And it's, uh, later, at some point, Francis decides to go and see the Pope and asks for the Pope to bless his mission. And the Pope says, Look, stay away from theology. Keep preaching repentance and Jesus but you're, you're too popular among the people, too well-loved for me to say no. So He doesn't say that, but basically. And, and he goes on. Francis used to tell his followers, preach as you go. As you're going, preach. Very much like this verse here in Acts 8, verse 4. As you go, preach. He was famous for meeting someone who was homeless in the winter months and taking the clothes off of his own back and giving it to them. He was famous for finding lepers who were suffering and taking care of them, bathing their wounds. The Franciscan movement to this day is famous for being an instrument of peace and healing and life. Francis famously stepped in when the crusades were happening between the the armies of Christendom and the armies of Islam. And he came in to try to bring peace between both sides. We have in our own city hospital named after this movement. Penrose St. Francis It's where our fourth child was born 11 days ago. You think about the legend, the legacy of this person who decided to embody the good news that he proclaimed. To be the good news and to say the good news. To do it both. To put them together. I actually thought about, um, um, and we might, we're working on this, but, but kind of having a little lending library here. Patton has wanted to start it, but I thought maybe I'd jump the gun on you. And, and order 10 or so of these books called Chasing Francis. It's a fiction book that, but, that'll teach you a little bit or introduce you to the life of Francis. It's a fictional story of a megachurch pastor who kind of has a crisis of faith and then takes a pilgrimage to follow the life of St. Francis. And along the way, you learn about St. Francis. There'll be things in there that you're like, uh. And then there'll be things in there that, that'll intrigue you. But it's fiction, so it be a good summer read. Uh, now, the Francis stuff is not fiction, but the book itself is. Um, but if we get a case for that going, we'll get our lending library going. Because I think we need new imaginations of what it means to embody the gospel that we proclaim. To not just say, well, it's either or. I don't know about all this giving out water and, and food and stuff. Let's just preach to them. Or is it that we preach as we go along the way? Is it that as we seek the wholeness and the shalom of the city, we preach the good news along the way. You know, when you think about this, Jesus himself lived a life that was displaced. Think about God coming to earth. And first of all, the plan was an inn, but even that inn had no room for him. So even at his birth, he is displaced. Even at his birth, There's no spot for him except this manger. And that's the story of his life because then he begins his ministry in his hometown of Nazareth and they're like, we don't think so. You're just like the carpenter's kid, right? So he's rejected by them and then he spends most of his ministry in the Galilean countryside and Samaria and all these places that are not his peeps. This is not his tribe. This is Jesus walking among those that are not really his people. He's scattered. And at the cross, He gives His life so that all who are scattered may be brought in. This morning, as we prepare our hearts to come to the communion table, I wonder if we can think about what it means to ourselves become like the body and blood of Christ. That Jesus, the one who was broken and given for the life of the world, poured out and spilled. Of course, to be His people, what do you think it's going to be for us? Any better than that? If Jesus Himself was displaced and blessed and broken and spilled and poured out for the life of the world, then does being the body of Christ mean a more comfortable life than that? Or doesn't it also mean that to follow Jesus means to not be fully at home with any group or place or thing To be a scattered people, to find ourselves in strange places and and strange businesses and companies and schools and neighborhoods and environments, and yet to say, God, how can we seek the shalom of the city? How can we preach the good news along the way? See, the rest of Acts 8 is really about the Holy Spirit, because the very next story is Peter and John laying hands on people, them receiving the Holy Spirit, and Simon, the magician, saying, Hey, how much for that trick? And Peter and John says, You and your money can go to hell. Literally. And, 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 and then the story after that is God, tr- the Spirit of God, transporting Philip to another place. And he meets an Ethiopian eunuch who's reading Isaiah, and Philip is able to preach the gospel along the way. One person is trying to control the Holy Spirit, Simon, The other person is letting the Holy Spirit transport him to new places. That's the difference. Now, I don't know if you're going to walk out of here and be like metaphysically transported, but maybe you can see your scatteredness as being the Holy Spirit working. That maybe we start to say that maybe my scatteredness is really the sending of the Holy Spirit. That maybe the reason I'm in this workplace or this neighborhood or this city or this environment or this neighborhood or this thing or this, maybe the reason for that is not just that life has scattered us, but that the Spirit has sent us. Sent us to seek the shalom of the city. Sent us to preach Jesus along the way. Amen? Let's pray together this morning.